I have a story for you from a congregation in my past. One year during Lent, as we were preparing for Holy Week, the rector decided that he wanted to include the story of the binding of Isaac among the many Old Testament readings at the great vigil of Easter. It is one of the 15 readings that we can choose from among to use at that service. And he thought it might shake things up a bit, you know, get us out of our comfort zone. He wasn't wrong. Later, I was talking with the music director who said, I know my job is to program a musical response for every reading, but I hate this story so much. <laughs> what can I possibly find that will help set it in context? Well, as a composer, I took this as a personal challenge. Searching online, I found a poem about Abraham and Isaac by a Jewish writer named Nan Cohen. I wrote to her, and she gave me permission to set her poem to music and to use it in Christian worship. I'd like to share the poem with you now. Abraham and Isaac won by Nan Cohen. He took him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he added, so shall your offspring be. I have lived in tents and know how faint a trace we leave behind us on the earth. How when the body fails, the soul folds its light clothes and steals away. But now a child sleeps in my tent. I would raise a tower of stone to shield his head. And yet the thought that any common stone must outlast him provokes such rage in me. I wake all night alarmed and furious seeing nothing in the dark but dark. Abraham and Isaac, too, by Nan Cohen. And Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son. I have lived in tents, and often at midday have I parted the tent clothes and gone inside with the light of day so blinding my eyes that my wife spoke to me out of darkness, saying, take this dish and eat. I have walked among the flocks on starless nights, with the blackness so filling my eyes, I put forth my hand as if the night were a tent, as if some shape might glimmer in my sight before the cloths of night fell across it. Eyes full of light or dark, night or day, I cannot tell. I grope forward to lift the cloth of this moment and the next. When we are faced with a troubling passage in the Bible, writing poetry is a good way to respond. It forces us to wrestle with the text, not, not to settle for swallowing it whole. 
Nan Cohen's poem gets to the core of Abraham's heartbreak, his adoration of the son who was oh so hard to come by, his befuddlement at the realities of life and death and time and mystery and confusion. Has it ever occurred to you that when we bring a new human into the world, that automatically means the person will die? Why would we subject our children to death? Because otherwise, they would never be able to live. I can imagine such thoughts running through Abraham's mind as he makes his way up the mountain with his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. This is the child he and his wife Sarah named Laughter. Based on what he believes to be God's direct order, Abraham will take laughter, bind him up tightly, and slay him. Except that he won't. God first commands it, then revokes the command. What kind of merciless, traumatic test is this? Could Abraham be a better parent than God? Wouldn't that only be true if he'd refused to follow God's orders in the first place? What did Isaac think of all this? Did Sarah know this was the plan? Come to think of it, did either of them ever tell Sarah about this incident? I bet not. But you see that now I've gone way beyond the raw details of the story and into the world of my own imagination. I do this because I have to. Scholars have long remarked on the lack of emotion in this story's telling. It just says, this happened, then that happened. The feelings of the characters don't come from the text on the page, but from deep within our very souls. We kick back against this story emotionally because we must. If we didn't, what would that say about us? This is a story to be questioned, to be doubted, to be resisted, to be picked apart and put back together again. But it is not a story merely to be thrown away. Because it is in the Bible. And many generations of faithful people have invested it with divine energy and divine authority. Yet, what kind of authority could possibly be found in this most terrible of biblical episodes? Today, try to hear the story of the binding of Isaac, not as a divine command, but simply as a story given to people in a very different time and place. In the ancient world, it was commonplace to use blood sacrifice to gain the favor of the gods who were understood to control all the forces of nature that we didn't understand. And so the early Jews wondered, is this God, the God who called us out of slavery, the God who rescued us, who sustained us in the wilderness, who brought us into a promised land, is the God we follow like all these other gods? We need a thought exercise. If God were to demand from us a human sacrifice, how might that play out? We need a story. 
Do you see? We have now moved from terrifying literalism to something much deeper. Does God demand our loyalty and our obedience? Yes, but it's not like you think. God is not a swaggering emperor, capricious and bloodthirsty, but the divine creator that no human king has ever managed to emulate. God doesn't want us to sacrifice our children. The way of divine wisdom is to learn to live in love with one another and to trust God to provide what we need. This story is God's answer to the very notion of child sacrifice. It shows everybody that we follow our creator not in abject terror but in love. Love that is full of awe because there is no other God. No other reality. And God's urge to love draws love back from us. So, says ancient Israel, we do not sacrifice our children to a cruel deity. It may sometimes seem to you that this is what God demands. That your loyalty to God is being tested. But to go through with sacrificing your child would condemn you as it already condemns the other gods that compete for your attention that aren't real. It would mean that you are worshiping idols instead of God. We can choose to respond to this story in more contemporary ways. Don't sacrifice your children to cruel gods. Don't put your convenience ahead of their well-being. Don't put your fears ahead of their thriving. Don't put your ignorance and prejudices ahead of their understanding of who they really are and who God is calling them to be. Allow for uncertainty. Trust the process of growing up in God's wondrous world. Above all, be loving enough to give your children good things but humble enough to know that sometimes you'll be wrong about what is good for them. My friends, this bound book is not in itself the word of God. On its own, the Bible is nothing but paper and ink like any other book. The word of God happens when the words come off the page, into our ears, into our lives. Our response to the words is a necessary part of the divinity of the words themselves. This, my friends, is what it means to read the Bible. Not to swallow it like a pill, but to engage with it in curiosity and joy and, yes, fear. Because God's world is way bigger than we are. And at the same time, when we hear these divine words, we can be cracked open like a seed and begin growing. Nothing else in the world does this in quite the same way. So now it's your turn. Take your service leaflet home today and go back over the passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. 
How is it different from our Genesis reading? Well, it's a real letter that was written to real people, not simply an ancient sacred story. Well, what does this one little part of it say? And how does it fit into the scope of the larger letter? When Paul says that we're all slaves to somebody or something, what might he mean? Is this a metaphor? Is it literal? What is this freedom he talks about? What feelings come up for you when you hear the wages of sin is death? What about the second half of that sentence, the necessary context that deepens and maybe even opposes the first half? So many questions. Or take today's brief gospel passage. What is Jesus saying here? How is it different from the verses that come right before it, which we heard last week about putting Jesus ahead of your family members? What is this reward that Jesus is promising? Write a poem. Create a drawing. Build something out of Legos. Find some good online commentaries. Use whatever methods you enjoy most to dig deeper into this strange old library we call the Bible. Because we are people of faith, and this is where we find God speaking to us. And we are creative, as God is creative, so we can be creative in our response. Make space for silence. Read the words. Listen and hear God's voice speaking from within you. Then use all your creativity to enter into conversation with the only God there ever was. A God beyond being who is always becoming and who is always inviting us deeper into the story. Amen.